Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Freedom House Central Campus. You guys doing great today? It is so good to be here with you. My name is Olin Carter and I get to serve here on our teaching team. And if you are new here, one thing unique about Freedom House Church is we have multiple campuses, but part of our pastor's vision is we have a live communicator right now at each one of our campuses. So your very own campus pastor, Pastor Aaron Blanton, is up at Lake Norman preaching right now. Give it up for Pastor Aaron. And we have a special guest, uh, Nathan Finocchio. He's at our South End campus today. And I want to encourage you guys to come back this evening at 6 p.m. He's going to be here teaching a theology class. And uh, basically, let me kind of set the expectation. It's going to be like, uh, like a, almost like a college-level class. And so if you're somebody that would love to go deeper into the things of God, really learn, dig into the scriptures, what are these things about? Man, he is going to really be teaching some deep truth tonight and really getting into God's Word. So I want to encourage you to come back for that. I'm excited about it. I also want to welcome those that are joining uh, online today. You guys give it up for them. We've got folks from Georgia. Illinois, Virginia, and Washington, and also our Mecklenburg County Detention Center. Welcome them as well. We love you guys. So glad you can tune in as well. Um, and we're, I'm so excited today uh, to jump into this, this message, this series. We're kind of capping off the end of a series called Redo. Everybody say Redo. How many of you have, have been here for one of the messages on this series so far? Okay, okay, so a good bit of you, but there's a good bit that this is your first one. So let me kind of set the groundwork for redo, for what we're talking about today. And so redo is basically how to escape the, the pull of your past, how to leverage your past, the negative things of your past, into your future. Now, when we started talking about this series, I, I kind of got a mental image of something. and I love the mountains. Anybody here love the mountains? Uh, Blue Ridge Parkway, right, the Appalachian. They have these cool things up there called overlooks, right? And you, you pull up, you can get out of your car, and you can just walk up to like this precipice, this edge of this mountaintop, and you can just look out and you can, it feels like you can just see forever. 
You ever been to one of those? I mean, it's just it's breathtaking, right? I mean, it's so beautiful. I love you can see streams and valleys, and I mean, it just feels like you can just see forever. So gorgeous, so beautiful. And when you're looking out there, I mean, you almost feel like you could just reach out and grab hold of it, right? I mean, it's just so amazing. I believe that a lot of times when we come to Jesus, when we're new to faith or maybe we're new to church, that what happens is our past runs into or collides with the cross. That, that all these things from our past kind of collides with the, the grace of God, with the cross of Jesus Christ, and we are reborn. We have this new lease on life. Man, the Bible says that the old things are gone, the, the new things have come, life is full of promise. And I believe, just like that overlook, I believe that when we come to Jesus, we have this fresh start and we feel like we're standing on this precipice and we can just see this future that God has for us. That we can see this promise, that we can see that now that my past has been dealt with, that my sin has been dealt with, now that Jesus is my Savior, man, I can reach forward. It's like I can almost see it and I can look into my future with this hope. But here's the problem. And here's why this message on redo is so important. Because sometimes even when we put our faith in Jesus, even when we we're standing on this overlook of God's grace and we're seeing into this beautiful future, this hope, and it's like our hand, we can almost touch it. We can almost feel it. There's this black hole behind us. There's this gravitational pull. And it just, as we're reaching forward into our future, it's just pulling us backward into our past. It's like that past that we had just gotten rid of, there's still this pull, this gravitation that wants to pull us back into the person that we used to be. Have you ever experienced that before? Man, there's nothing so frustrating as having something right there and you just can't quite put your hands on it. My wife is an incredible baker. She makes cookies, she makes cakes, all kind of things. She makes a lot of the things for here at the church and Man, I love her cookies, and sometimes it's like that in my life. I see the cookie, and it's just like I have the hope, you know, and my hand is almost there, and then pow, she smacks my hand away. It's this frustration, right? You felt that before. And you know what? God doesn't want us to live a life of frustration. He wants us to experience the fullness of when that moment when you came to Jesus, that hope you had, that future you had, that newness, he wants you to capture that. He wants you to experience, and he wants you to live in that. And so I uh, wanted to get into this today, and I, and I heard this story, and it just really stood out to me. It was a story about Billy Graham, and Billy Graham was... Uh, he was preaching, he was doing a campaign in Germany, and he was, he was touring Germany, he was doing these great campaigns, thousands of people coming to Jesus, but he was also on the radio, and for those of you who know anything about Billy Graham, he grew up literally right around the corner from where I grew up, he was just a country boy, he's from here in Charlotte, he did not speak German, so if he's on the radio, if they're going to understand him, he's going to need something called a translator, right? Somebody's going to have to translate his English into German. Well, Everything was going great with the campaigns. People were coming to Jesus. But one of his uh, inner circle, he was writing to the supporters, telling them how great everything was going. He said, but we did get one complaint. He said, one lady wrote in and she said that, man, I was so impressed with Billy Graham's power and his authority preaching God's word. I was so impressed with how he preached and everything. But she said there was one problem. Every few minutes... This other guy would interrupt him speaking English. Now, y'all get that in about an hour. 
How many of you know that poor lady did not understand what was going on? The interpreter didn't write the message. The interpreter didn't, didn't have anything to say. He was just repeating what he heard Billy Graham say. And I think sometimes that's the image that God has for us as being a Christian. You see, the truth is, I've got nothing for you today. I can't help you. I've got no magic wand. I've got no special wisdom you don't have. I can't pull out something, some magic you know, formula and wave it over your life and all your problems go away. But as a believer, this is what we all can do. I can pray, I can read God's word, I can stand before you today and I can listen and when God speaks and he says, tell them I love them, I can repeat what I hear of my father say. I can say, hey, God loves you. What's that? What's that? Oh, God says you're forgiven. Oh, what? oh, God says you have purpose. I can just repeat what I heard God say and that's how God wants us to live as believers. He wants us to live our lives being a, a translator or an interpreter for what we hear in the Spirit. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good image? You can be a translator, an interpreter for God. You can be speaking forth God's truth and God's hope into the world. But you know, translation is tough. If you've ever had to translate something in a foreign language, it is not easy to do. It is hard to do. But you know what makes it near impossible? Trying to translate for two people at the same time. Imagine trying to do that, right? And the problem is sometimes we're trying to hear what God is saying, but this old man, this old man in our flesh is speaking at the same time. We're trying to hear the voice of God. We're trying to hear this new man. We're trying to live for God, but sometimes the old man resurfaces and he wants to interrupt the conversation. Remember years ago, I was in Mexico preaching at a youth conference and I remember it because it was one of the first times I had ever preached to a large group of people and it actually went okay. Um, yeah, I was, I was like astounded. But I was preaching to a pretty large group and the young people were just getting into it. But I had a translator because I didn't speak good enough Spanish to do the whole message in Spanish. And so I had a translator. And it was one of those times, have you ever just been in the flow with somebody before? Well, maybe you're playing sports, maybe you're playing in a band and it's just like, man, you're just like connected. It's like you can almost think their thoughts, you know, and so I'm preaching, and every time I'm preaching, I say something, I jump, and I shout, he jumps, and he shouts, and everything I do, he does, and I mean, it's like we're just, man, like in one mind, right, and all the young people are, you know, coming to Christ, and just standing on the, it was just this great day, and I remember afterwards, him coming to me, and he was like, oh man, give me a high five, he was like, man, it was like we were, I was like, I was in your head, I mean, you were saying it, and I was saying it, it was so awesome, and, you know, here's the issue, I think sometimes as Christians, we start believing that there's going to be a day when our old man and our flesh and our new man and our spirit are going to flow together like that. Like there's going to be this day when my old man can just work in cooperation with the new life in Christ. Because, see, there's part of us that, man, we really love this church stuff. We love the Bible, this Jesus. I mean, it sounds really good. I mean, I want it. I want to be free. Free sounds good. I want to be forgiven. Forgiven sounds good. So I like that. I'm buying into that. But there's this pull to the old man that I want the good of the new part of me that still wants to taste a little of the old. I still want to allow that old man to speak into my life. Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about this today. I want us to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 8. And I believe this passage of Scripture has some incredibly powerful truths for us to learn that will help us navigate our life 
for Jesus. We're, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to encourage you to, this week, read that whole chapter. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Amazing chapter in the Bible. It will mess your brain up when it comes to how we live today in the modern world versus back then. I mean, it is just a powerful chapter that Paul is talking about this stuff. And so we're, we're reading in verse 8, and he says, But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. See, what Paul's talking about here is he just got through the last few verses talking about how Christians in the church were fighting with each other, and they were even suing each other and taking each other to court. <gasps> That's a shock, isn't it? Christians fighting with each other? That never happens today. In the modern church, right? I mean, I was, when I read that, I went, Christians argue with each other? I am blown away by that. Paul says, listen, he says, before you take your brother to court, you ought to just let him do you wrong. But that's heavy, isn't it? Y'all looked at me like, what? That Paul said that, not me. But Paul goes on here and he says, listen, not only are you not willing to be done wrong, he said, but you yourself, you're actually doing them wrong. You're actually cheating your brothers. There were people in the church and they were doing a business deal. So I'm doing a business deal with Adam and I'm going to cheat and lie and steal from him. And Paul's saying, man, what are you doing? So he goes on in verse 9 and he says, or do you not know? And if you read that chapter about five or six different times, Paul keeps saying this over and over again. Do you not no, he's trying to draw a contrast for us between our old man and our new man. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the key. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, Paul talks about two major things in this chapter. One, he talks about Christians fighting with each other. And then the second thing, he talks about sexual sin, sexual immorality. But here's really the theme of this chapter. Really the theme, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, really what Paul is saying is this, is that the gospel should change the way we think and it should change the way we live. But we have to be careful as Christians not to get pulled back into the old man. We have to be careful as Christians not to get pulled back into that old way of living. And Paul wants to draw this contrast for us because this is a major thing that Satan will use in our lives. You see, Satan will use sin. He will use these old man. When the old man resurfaces, he will use it to trap us in our past. See, Paul uses these two big contrasts here to show us our old man and our new man. On one hand, Paul says this, and this will knock your socks off if you've never read this before. Paul says, when you're in your spirit, he says, did you not know that you will judge angels? Now, did you know that? If you're a Christian, one day in eternity, you're going to stand in judgment of angels. That's pretty cool, isn't it? A little intimidating, right? I'm going to judge angels? Like, wow, that's incredible. Paul says, did you not know? You're going to judge angels one day. It's like, wow. But then Paul goes on to say that 
while you're going to judge angels in eternity, and that's your spiritual position in Christ, he said, but yet today in the church, you can't even solve an argument amongst yourselves. You're going to judge angels, but you can't even settle a little dispute in your own church. There's no one in your church wise enough. You have to take it to the court because no one in here is wise enough to settle this little tiny dispute. You see the contrast there between the old man and the new man? Paul goes on to say, did you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? You know that your physical body is literally a housing for the, the presence of the living God. Man, that's amazing. But then Paul goes on to say, did you not know when you go out and join yourself to a prostitute, because that's what they were doing in the Corinthian church. He said that you've joined your body to that. He said, did you not know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you're over here shaming yourself living in sexual sin. You see the contrast there? On one hand, you're so holy and you're so special before God. But then on the other hand, when we live in our flesh, when we allow that old man to dominate, look at what we're capable of. Now, why is this so important for us to understand? Because when you come to Christ, you have this amazing experience, this new birth. But here's what Satan will try to do. When that old man resurfaces and you begin to experience a little bit of that old, you'll begin to doubt. Satan will begin to whisper in your ear and you'll begin to doubt that you're saved. He'll begin to get you to question. You'll say, well, God, you know, if I really had faith, I wouldn't have done that. You know, if I really loved God, I wouldn't have fallen into that habit. If I really believed, if I really was saved, if, if that day when my past met the cross, if I was really a new creature in Christ, I wouldn't be living this way. And then we begin to doubt the reality of the gospel. And see, here's the truth. The truth that God wants to get across to us is the only thing that will set you free from that old man is to get a better revelation of the gospel. See, Satan wants you to question what Jesus did. God wants you to more fully understand and believe what Jesus did. That makes all the difference in our lives. And so how do we live in the new? How do we live as an interpreter for God and not an interrupter from our flesh? How do we live this way? We must learn to interpret life through the lens of the gospel. We must learn to interpret life. Everything in our life, our sin, our past, our job, our spouses, our relationships, our money, everything in our life, we have to learn to look at it through the lens of the gospel. Pastor Troy talked about this a few weeks ago. It's so important to understand the gospel is not what you do. It's what Jesus did. So what we have to learn is as we get a revelation, and let me stop here for a second and explain what that word means because we use that word in church sometimes, revelation, and people just nod their heads but have no idea what we're talking about. What revelation is is it's a spiritual understanding. So you can read in a book and learn that 2 plus 2 is 4 and you can get that understanding, but you can't read in a book and get spiritual understanding or knowledge. Revelation is where you hear, you read something, but then you allow the Holy Spirit to shine a light on it so you can see it in the spiritual realm. Does that make sense? So when I say revelation, I'm talking about spiritual understanding. And so the key to our freedom is getting a more complete revelation, understanding of the gospel. The more I understand what Jesus did on Calvary, 
The more I understand spiritually and I grasp, I believe, I fully put my faith in what Jesus did, the more free I'm going to be. See, there's nothing more. Jesus can't die on the cross any more than he already has. And if you've come to Christ, you can't get any more saved than you already are. What Jesus did was a complete work. He said, it is He didn't say it's almost done. One day you're 80%, Adam. One day you're going to be 90%. I'm still working on you. No, he says, it's finished. So when you're saved, when you put your faith in Jesus, you've been born again, you've been made new. There's a new creature inside of you. You have been made new. But for that to work itself out in our life, we have to change the way we think with our mind. We have to renew our thoughts, the Bible says in Romans. We have to train ourselves not to focus on the old, but to keep our eyes on the new. On the new. So how do we do that? Well, I was thinking about when we all drive to church. Everybody remember driving to church today? If you don't, you might want to check out what's in that coffee you were drinking earlier. It's just hot tea over there. Just hot tea. I'm going to take a little sip. Is that okay? For my... Okay, so I remember driving here today. I drive here almost every day, so I know I could almost do it blindfolded, right? Now, when you pull out of your driveway, hopefully, you're looking through your what? Your windshield, right? You're looking through the front of your car. You're, you got this nice view. Now, imagine this for a second. Imagine you turned out onto your street, and you backed up, and you never, you never put it in drive. Imagine you just left it in reverse, and you just drove here looking in the rearview mirror. Now, I'm up here on this platform, and I don't think there's anything, but I'm nervous I might fall over doing it up here, right? If you drove here just in your rearview mirror, instead of looking out of this five feet of windshield up there on your car, you're stuck in a two-inch view. You're trapped in in an improper view, and you can't see where you're going. Hopefully, a state trooper would pull you over and take your license away forever, right? If you drove here backwards. But so many times in our life... That's what we're doing. We're driving our lives not through the windshield of God's grace. We're not viewing what we do. We're not viewing our relationships. We're not viewing our money. We're not viewing our life through the windshield of the gospel and God's grace. No, we're trapped in this two-inch view of the rearview mirror of our past. And you see, God did not design us to steer our lives through the mirror of our past. That's so important because... Listen, you'll end up going wherever you look. My wife can testify to that because many times she has to grab me and say, Oh, because I see something and I'm like, Oh, Hulk. And then I'm like, you know, just driving us off into the woods, right? Because if you look off to the left, guess where you're going to end up? Off to the left. Wherever you look is where you're going to end up. So listen, if you live your life not viewing everything ahead of you through the gospel, but instead looking at it through your past, where are you going to end up? There's nowhere for you to go but backward. Satan wants to keep you trapped in your past. And so let's hear what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. I think this says it better than I can ever say it. He says, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, listen, 
one thing, Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, one thing I do, I'm going to stop driving my life through the rearview mirror. I want to accomplish this race. Paul was many times would write about how he was so determined to lay hold of the thing that God had laid hold of him for. That God has this purpose for my life and I'm going to win my race. I'm going to run hard. I am not going to let anything slow me down. And what does Paul tell us right here? How do I do that? The one thing I do is I'm going to stop driving my life in the rearview mirror. I'm going to stop looking at what is what behind me and I'm going to start keeping my focus on what's ahead. So what is Paul talking about here? What are the things that we need to look at differently to have a, a perspective shift in order to be set free from this pull of our past? Well, I believe there's countless things, but I believe there are three major things that I want to talk to you about briefly this morning that I think encompass all of us. They, they, they affect all of us. Number one is my sin. Everybody say my sin. My sin seen through the gospel does not produce shame, they reveal my poverty. My sin, when viewed through the gospel, does not produce shame, they reveal my poverty. See, the truth is we all have sin. We all have sin in our life. If you don't believe you have sin, you just need to hang out with yourself a little more. Trust me, you have sin. When, when we look at our past, it's going to be a minefield of sins that we've committed. We all have sin in our life, but what Satan wants to do with our sin is he wants to use our sin to shame us. And see, here's the thing. Some of you might be thinking right now, well, shame, there's nothing wrong in feeling shame when I did something shameful. But the problem is God never wants us to feel shame because shame is not a wrongness of doing, it's a wrongness of being. Shame is about your wrong, not what you did was wrong. And Satan wants to use shame to make us hide and never expose our sin. See, the word shame comes from the Old English, and what it literally means is to cover something up or to hide it, to keep it back from being exposed. It's protecting it from exposure. And why do we want to keep our sin from being exposed? Why are we so afraid to allow our sin to be exposed? Because every time in our life, until we met Jesus, every time in our life we allowed our sin to be exposed people used it as a weapon against us. Think about every time in your life when you messed up and people found out about it. Did they help you? Did they love you? Did they forget about it? Did they treat you normally after that? No. We judge each other. We stab each other. We use it as a weapon against each other. And so in our mind, because every time our sin has been exposed to the light, it's been used as a weapon against us, we develop this thing where sin is something I have to hide because if I expose it, people are going to use it as a weapon against me. But Jesus changes everything in our view of sin. Let's read in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 3. Jesus says in the greatest sermon ever given, Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You see, the difference in viewing sin through the gospel is shame versus poverty. You see, when you view sin through your old man and through your flesh, sin is something to hide because it produces shame. When you view your sin through the cross and through Jesus, 
It all, all it reveals is your spiritual poverty, and it's something to confess, not to hide. See, what Jesus is telling us here is that everywhere in your life where you have sin, all that is is an indicator light that you have an area of your life that needs more God. If you have sin, it's not that you're shameful. It's not that there's something broken or intrinsically wrong with you as a person. It's not that you're not worth anything or you have no value to God. It's not that you're shameful and no one should look at you ever again, no one you're unlovable. No, when you have sin in your life, number one, it makes you human, but number two, it identifies, it locates an area of your heart that you simply need more God. Why do you have a, an indicator in your car that tells you when your gas is on empty? Is it something to be ashamed of? Man, I got here today, and I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost on E. Don't tell anybody. No, we love that indicator. Why? Because it keeps me from being found on the side of the road. And sin in our life, when we view it through the truth of the gospel... Our sin simply indicates in me there's somewhere in my life I'm running on E. I need more God in my life. And so through the cross, Jesus takes away the shame so we can expose our poverty spiritually. And listen, when you expose your poverty, God says, I will make you rich. Jesus says the one who is willing to own their spiritual poverty, the one that's willing to take it over, to expose and say, man, I am poor in spirit. I can't do this on my own. I need God to save me. What does Jesus say? He says, you're blessed. He says, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Man, isn't that good news today? Every time I sin, when I view it through the gospel... I can say, man, now I can just get a little more chunk of the kingdom of heaven because now I know there's somewhere in my heart I need a little bit more Jesus. The old man views sin as something to hide. The new man views sin as something to confess. The gospel changes our view of sin so we're no longer stuck driving in the rearview mirror. That's where the enemy wants you today. Maybe you have sin in your life that you've never confessed to anyone. I encourage you, find someone, a believer, someone you can trust. Maybe it's your spouse, but find someone that you can confess that sin. And first and foremost, confess it to God. And when we confess our sin to God, He is never going to use it as a weapon against us. No, He says, you're blessed because you've realized your need for me. Let's go back to where we started today, 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 11. It says, and such were some of you. But, but you were washed. Such were some of you, but you were washed. Listen, your sin has been dealt with. You don't have to live in the old man anymore. You don't have to be stuck in the rear view. Why? Because you were washed. And it's a continual washing. Your sin has been dealt with. The second thing that we need to view differently is our failures. Everybody say, my failures. Man, we all have those, don't we? We all have failures, but my failures, when seen through the gospel, when seen through grace, do not destroy my confidence. They build my humility. And when I say this, you're going to know this is true. When I say it immediately, you're going to go, that's right. Humility can't be learned from a book. You know that's true, don't you? 
We don't have a humility class here at the church. We tried it once. The problem is when people graduate from the class, they're like, hey, I graduated from the humility class. I'm like the most humble person here now. <laughs> it's counterproductive. It never works. Because you can't learn humility from a book. You have to learn humility through life. You see, back many years ago, I've worked in a commissions world for a long time, and I used to be just, I mean, 100% straight commission. And me and my boss were talking one day after work, and the crazy thing about it is one month you're way up here, and I'd have a great month. I'd be number one in the branch, and I mean, I was like making a big check, and everything was great. And I mean, man, you just start feeling yourself. You're like, man, I am the man. Like, I've got this figured out. I mean, I should write a book. I mean, I am the guy. I got this, right? And But then literally 30 days later, same job, same company, I'm like, I don't think I'm cut out for this. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing at all. I mean, I made nothing this month. I, I'm, I'm going to find a new industry, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how long you do it. If you're in 100% commission sales, I mean, you go up one month, down the next. You can be on the mountaintop, and next you're singing in the valley, right? And, I mean, that's just, that's just how it goes. But, you know, why do we view pride and humility this way? You see, our view of pride and humility, humility is all about our performance, if we do well, we struggle with pride. When we do poorly, we feel like we're humiliated before everyone. But see, here's the thing. Satan wants to use that view as a trap. See, true pride and humility have nothing to do with your performance, and I'll prove it to you. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It's one of my favorite scriptures because it always just messes my brain up every time I read it. And this is talking about Jesus. It says, but emptied himself, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You ever thought about that? How can Jesus humble himself? If pride and humility is all to do with our performance, good or bad, how could Jesus humble himself because his performance was always great? I love going to Best Buy because I just like looking at the TVs. The HD, I don't know where they get the footage from. It's amazing. I mean, I think it looks better than if you actually went to Africa or something and was on the Sahara. I mean, it's just its beautiful. I mean, it's just so amazing. You ever have that moment where you're looking at something on the Discovery Channel and you're just like, wow, look at that. When you're looking at that, Jesus is like, yeah, that was me. I made that. I mean, Jesus never messes up. He's eternal. He doesn't just pass the test. He wrote the test, gave it to the teacher to give to himself, and then he aced it. <laughs> Jesus is amazing. He walked on water. I mean, that's better than Superman, right? I mean, that's just unbelievable power and cool at the same time. I mean, Jesus is just walking out on the water like, what's up, Jesus? Just chilling, walking on the water. I mean, he's, I mean, he's God. How could he humble himself? But there's something powerful that God wants to teach us through Jesus, through the fact that he humbled himself. See, our view of pride and humility is our performance, up and down. But what this passage teaches us is that in the kingdom of God, humility has nothing to do with your performance because if that were true, Jesus couldn't have humbled himself. Instead, it has to do with accepting your God-given purpose and position. See, think back to that scripture we just read about Jesus. What does it say? It says he 
emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men, found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient. What? To the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, true humility has nothing to do with this fake, oh, beat me down, woe is me. It wouldn't have been, true humility with Jesus would not have been Jesus walking around going, well, I guess I'm an okay Messiah. There's probably some better Messiahs than me. That wouldn't have been humility for Jesus, would it? No, it was in Jesus accepting the position that his father had given him. God says, I want you to go. I want you to be obedient to the point of death. I want you to do, do that, even death on the cross. And what did Jesus say? I'll do it. I'll do it. You see, true humility is tied up in our purpose that we get from God. See, the key to enjoying true success is humility. And I use the word enjoying carefully because I know some of you in this room are successful in a worldly sense. Maybe you make a lot of money. Maybe you're at the top of the corporate ladder. But are you really enjoying it? Look at this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. While other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. You see, here's the truth about pride and humility, whether you perform good or bad, if you allow Satan to suck you into pride, whether you perform great or terrible, you'll never enjoy it. It doesn't matter how well you do, if you're stuck without godly humility, you'll never enjoy it if you're the king of the world. But true enjoyment is found in humility in accepting our purpose from God. Look back at our first scripture today, 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That word sanctified could also be translated consecrated, which means set apart. You see, what Paul's telling us is this. He's saying not only were your sins forgiven, but when your past met the cross, when you came to Jesus Christ, God set you apart for himself. You've been set apart by God for God. So it doesn't matter what your performance is, good or bad, in your past. The truth is, is that when you came to Jesus Christ, God had a purpose for you and always will. Your purpose and your mission in life is not set by your performance. No, it was set when you put your faith in Jesus. And at that very moment, God set you apart for himself. So no longer does my failure have to destroy my confidence because my confidence isn't in me. I didn't call me to do this. God did. Whatever your purpose is in life, listen, if it's a purpose from God, it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on Him. And so when I look through the, the lens of the gospel at the failures of my past, no longer does it destroy my confidence. It builds my confidence because I know that God set me apart for a reason. Even though I messed up before I was even born, God had a purpose for my life. God has a purpose for me. The gospel replaces the peaks and valleys of our performance with greater confidence in God and in his purpose for me. The third and final thing today that I think we need to view differently through the lens of the gospel is our grief. Our grief. My grief seen through the gospel 
does not steal my joy. It unlocks God's comfort. All of us have past hurts and scars. And when we allow our past self, that old man that we talked about earlier, to interpret all the pain, all the tragedy, all the betrayal, everything that's happened to us in our past, when we allow the old man to interrupt instead of us being an interpreter for what God is speaking, when we're stuck in that rear view mirror, Satan will lie to us and he'll cause us to misinterpret and misunderstand all the events and the pains from our past. He will sell us a lie about who we are and who God is. See, God doesn't want us living in that rearview mirror. But if you think about this, when you're thinking about your pain, your grief, tragedy that's happened in your life, you're always looking back. I've never been brokenhearted about something that's going to happen to me 10 years from now. I'm always brokenhearted about something that happened to me 10 years ago. And so by definition, when we allow the pain of our past to steal our joy, we've decided to move forward in our life living in the rearview mirror. We're stuck. But Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that when we came to Jesus, we were washed from our sin. We were set apart for God, by God. And listen to this. We were given right standing with God forever. That moment when your past met the cross, not only did he forgive your sins, but the Bible teaches that Jesus actually, he did this exchange with you where he actually took your pain, your past, your sin, your failures. In, ex in exchange, he handed you his righteousness. That means when Jesus would come before the throne of God, you know Jesus can just walk right in, right? Jesus has access. Jesus gave you that access. Jesus gave you his right standing with God. Never again do you have to go through your pain alone. Why? Because Jesus gave you access to a God who loves you. Never again do I have to go through the failures of my past, the sin of my past, all by myself. And I think this quote by Edith Schaefer sums it up great. It says, Jesus went without comfort so that he could send us the comforter. Jesus went without comfort so he could send us the comforter. Would you stand on your feet with me this morning? I want to read you one final verse, and I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. This verse, I've read many times, but I love it in the Amplified Version. It says, this is Jesus praying for you and I. He says, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby, that he may remain with you forever. What is holding you back today? What's pulling you to that old man, to the past? Is it your sin? Because it's been dealt with. Jesus allowed them to nail your sin to him on that cross. 
And he didn't say it's almost done. He said it's finished. He has paid the price for your sin. Maybe for you it's failure. Maybe you've lost hope. That there was anything worthwhile in you. But when you look at your failure through the cross, God says, I have a purpose for your life. I don't care if you're five years old or 90 years old. God has a purpose for you right now. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. Maybe it's your grief. Maybe it's a pain, a tragedy, something you've struggled to get over. My favorite part of that verse in John is when I was reading it the other day, the realization that Jesus was praying for me. If you're feeling pain today from your past, listen, Jesus, well, he wasn't just praying for his 12 disciples. He was literally praying for you. And he sent the comforter. He asked his father to send the comforter to comfort you. I want to ask you today, if you've never made a decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, if you're online today at the detention center, there's a place in the chat where you can click and raise your hand. I want to ask you if that's you today. No one looking around, no one stirring in their seat. If that's you and you'd say, man, I want to make a decision today. I want to introduce my past to the cross. I want to make sure Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand right now? We just want to say a simple prayer with you. For those of you online, just click that button. We have people that are going to pray with you as well. Amen. Church, we're going to pray this together. And I also want to ask for those of you who already know Jesus as your Savior, are you stuck in your past today? Are you stuck because of sin, because of failure, because of grief and pain? If that's you today, just as an act of faith, if you're stuck in your past, would you just raise your hand right now? We're just going to pray together. Amen. Let's pray this by faith. Everybody join in. Just say, Father God, thank you for dying for me. The gospel is accomplished. It's good news because you did it. It is done. And I want to receive it. And I want to live in it every day. Save me. Change me. Make me new. I don't want to live in the rearview mirror anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.